Today, we begin a journey that will take us through the next couple of months as we will be reading the Gospel of Mark. I hope that you might take some time to read through this gospel in one sitting, which shouldn't take too long because it's the shortest of the four gospels. We won't be reading through it verse by verse, but we'll be taking it in chunks and moving around just a little bit. But today, we begin in the first chapter with Mark's story of the call of the first disciples. As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of your word, for the ways that it nourishes us and the ways that it challenges us and inspires us to faithfully follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today we read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friend Caroline was six months and three weeks pregnant with her first child when she suddenly and unexpectedly went into labor. Needless to say, she was not prepared. The childbirth classes she'd signed up for hadn't started yet. She had faithfully been reading what to expect when you're expecting for each stage of her pregnancy as she entered that stage, which meant she learned next to nothing about the final trimester of pregnancy or about childbirth, much less about bringing home an infant. She had no diapers, no crib, no car seat. She woke up one day thinking she had time to spare before embarking on her journey of motherhood. Twelve hours later, ready or not, she was a mother. For Caroline, this event was an epiphany, a moment when life suddenly and drastically changes. This season of the church year between January 6th, when we celebrate the visit of the Magi to the baby Jesus, and the season of Lent, when we prepare for Holy Week and Easter, is called the season after Epiphany. The idea is that during this season, we consider what happened after God incarnate in the form of a newborn baby boy entered the world, a sudden and drastic event that changed everything. This is a season of stories about such events. The Epiphany of the Magi, who saw a star and understood that something new and monumental was taking place. 
the epiphany of the people who heard the preaching of John the Baptist and decided to be baptized. The epiphany of Jesus himself at his own baptism by John when he claims his identity and begins his ministry. And, as we heard today, the epiphany of Jesus' first disciples, who, just like that, according to the story, leave everything behind to follow him. This year, from now until Easter, we'll be working our way through the Gospel of Mark. As we read it, we will notice there is a word that occurs over and over again, and it shows up in these six short verses we read today, not just once, but twice. The word, immediately. Mark's repeated use of this word gives the impression that when it comes to the good news of the gospel, there is no time to waste. And he describes the call of the first disciples as an epiphany that inspires them to walk away from the responsibilities of their everyday lives, their jobs, their families, to follow this teacher they know next to nothing about. So in today's text, immediately looks like acting first and thinking later, shirking your responsibilities, leaving the people you love behind and venturing into the unknown without stopping to count the cost or consider the consequences. I don't know about you, but none of the things on that list are things with which I am particularly comfortable. Maybe this is why we prefer to think of Epiphany as a season, a season of pondering and preparing, rather than an event that changes everything all at once. And the truth is, many of us never experience a one-moment-in-time epiphany that results in a decision to follow Jesus. Instead, we probably have a series of moments, most of which are not particularly memorable. Like a family habit of going to church on Sundays. A series of lessons we learned in Sunday school a certificate of baptism that's somewhere in a stack of family papers, a faded photograph from the Sunday we were confirmed. For many of us, our journey of discipleship just doesn't involve many occasions like the story we heard today, when a brief encounter with Jesus sparks an epiphany that immediately changes everything. Fortunately, although today's story makes following Jesus look like a simple, one-time decision, as we read more of this gospel, we will see that even for the first disciples, following Jesus is like most other decisions in life. You can plan for it all you want. And once you start, there might be a few breathtaking, life-changing, profoundly moving moments. But mostly... It's a hard and often confusing journey, filled with forks in the road that have no signs indicating which way to go. But this journey of discipleship is filled with something else, too, something that shows up right at the beginning of Mark's account of the first disciples. They may appear to leave behind everything and everyone they know 
their jobs, their families, their friends, but listen to what Jesus tells them. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. In other words, this is not going to be a solo journey. It's a journey we make with others, with people who in time we will come to call family. Father Gregory Boyle knew a 23-year-old named Miguel who worked in Father Boyle's gang member rehabilitation ministry. Miguel's pleasant demeanor was remarkable given that he had been terribly abused and then abandoned by his family of origin. One New Year's Day, he called Boyle to wish him a happy new year. Miguel, I was thinking of you, you know, on Christmas, Boyle told him. What did you do for Christmas? Oh, you know, I was just right here, Miguel said, meaning in the tiny apartment where he lived alone. All by yourself? Boyle asked. Oh, no, I invited homies from the crew, vatos like me who had no place to go for Christmas. Then he names the five men he had over, and Boyle recognizes that they are all former enemies from rival gangs. Really, Boyle said. That sure was nice of you. What did you do? Well, Miguel said, his voice thick with pride, I cooked a turkey. Wow, you did? How how did you prepare it? Well, you know, Miguel said, I rubbed it with a bunch of butter, threw a bunch of salt and pepper on it, squeezed a couple of limones over it, and put it in the oven. It tasted proper. Wow, that's impressive. What else did you have besides the turkey? Boyle asked. Just that, Miguel says. Just turkey. Yeah, the six of us. We just sat there, staring at the oven, waiting for that turkey to be done. When we embark on the journey of discipleship, we sooner or later discover that family is no longer defined by our blood relations or the people we live with or even the friends we choose. To follow Jesus is to experience the mind-blowing epiphany that our family is nothing less than all of humanity, which is why the church is so important. And I'm not talking about the church as a location or a building or a governing structure. I'm talking about church in its simplest form, a gathering of people who somewhere along the way made a decision to follow Jesus and who then come together to support one another on that journey. Sometimes the people who come together to form a church are so different, we might wonder what on earth brought them together and what keeps them together. And then we hear a story like today's, which reminds us Jesus did and Jesus does. It turns out the decision to follow Jesus can only be lived out in community. This week, Amanda Gorman, at 22 years old, became the youngest poet ever to participate in an inauguration as she read her poem, The Hill We Climb. The poem seeks to remind the citizens of the United States that the vision of our nation was not a one-time epiphany of a democracy that promised life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all its people. 
but which instead presented democracy as a long and challenging project that must be undertaken anew by each of us in each generation. And it is a project that can only be sustained if we work together to fulfill its promises. Near the end of her reading came these lines. And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. As disciples who have come together as the church, to follow Jesus, we are tied to one another. And regardless of whether we worship in a sanctuary or from our living rooms, each week we gather to worship and to remember our calling. Our calling may not have come as the kind of epiphany experienced by those first disciples, but it is no less urgent than theirs. And its effects on our world are no less immediate. For Jesus invites us on this lifelong journey of sharing the good news that we all belong to God, that we are all worthy of compassion and grace, that no matter what threatens to divide us, God brings us together and holds us together as one human family. Amen.